Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, from the Santa Monica Studios, getting you ready for Christmas week. The off-season rolls along in the tennis world, but we have a special show this week with our own TC host, Danny Kloppinger. Danny's been with Tennis Channel since 2017, hosting our Masters 1000 event coverage live on site with Prakash Armitage, and we get into her career not just with Tennis Channel, but the broadcast and sports origin story from the beginning, where she grew up on a nursery in Oregon, made her way to Stony Brook via Division I basketball scholarship, and has been hustling and striving for greatness all the way through the broadcasting world. A nice lengthy discussion with Danny Kloppinger about her interests, her career decisions, some advice she would give to younger aspiring broadcasters, and a lot of in-between stuff as well. You're not going to want to miss this an exclusive look at one of the rising talents at Tennis Channel. It's Danny Kloppinger on Tennis Channel Inside In, and the show starts right now. All right, now, everybody, welcome to Tennis Channel Inside In. Off-season is uh, still going on, almost wrapped up, but we have a lot to talk about uh, in the world of sport, in the world of tennis. I'm joined now by our guest, a uh, Tennis Channel colleague of mine, uh, somebody that I think everybody out there should be buying stock in in the sports broadcasting <laughs> world, uh, maybe you know investing in, maybe making some bets on, which we'll get to. But Danny Kloppinger, you know her on uh, the Tennis Channel broadcasts, on everything that we do. Live on the line for Bally Sports as well. Danny, thanks for joining the podcast. This was a long time coming, but thanks you for coming on the show. Money Mitch, I'm so excited to be here. This is going to be so much fun. And gosh, this Tennis Channel family has just been so supportive um, since I joined the squad. So I, I'm excited to sit down and do this with you. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited as well. I can see in the video there we got some Midwest weather acoustics going on in the background, but you know. Yep. Uh, good old Chicago uh, left LA literally almost exactly a year ago for this show on Bally Sports and um, had to get something with a view because if I was going to leave the beach in the sand, I needed to at least see the buildings. But um, thanks to the lovely weather, like you said, you can't even see it because it's so foggy. No, no, you can't. Uh, but it looks good. Place looks good. Obviously, Christmas tree looks good. Very very good there. Um, starting kind of this journey, and I always, it's funny, ask the tennis players what what their story was, their origin story, so to speak. You getting, you know, the upbringing in sports, and I know I got some research here. You can correct me. You're hard to track down, but Portland, Oregon, what was that like growing up? And I know you're, you were a basketball player, which we can get into, but was it sports from the get-go? Were there influences in your life, older relatives that kind of just brought you into the sports world? How did, how did you come to be invested and uh, engaged so much into the sports world? Well, I wish I could tell you that my family members were former professional athletes or something like that, but they weren't. Mm -hmm. We were just big sports fans growing up. Um, in Oregon, there's not a whole lot of professional sports. So you love the Portland Trailblazers. At the time, they didn't even have a soccer team. So really, it was live and die between Oregon and Oregon State. And you mm -hmm. landed on one side or the other, and you you just bled for that team, right? That was, and my entire family went to Oregon State. So the idea of rivalry, the idea of competition, Mm -hmm. and watching those games from like a little teeny tiny tinker toy to now that kind of got the fire burning. Um, I grew yeah. up on a farm in the middle of nowhere and it's not even a farm. It's a nursery yeah. plant. And so you had a lot of backyard space to run around, be competitive and uh, basketball hoop on the nursery yeah. grounds. So used to just go outside and shoot hoops for hours and hours. And I just fell in love with sports. I love to be around it. And, and those people were the people that I tended to want to be friends with. I just looked up to everybody that had, especially athletic ability. It was like, I want to try and be like yeah. them. Right. So right. that's basically how it started. So a couple of things I want to get to first, I knew you were on the Oregon state side of that rivalry. What's, I don't really have this question to ask to people that the dynamic, is it kind of the little brother and the big, bad Oregon ducks? Cause they're, you know, they're the Nike sponsored team. They've, got all the hype. Is that kind of 
the vibe it's been. I know you were celebrating that win this year that kind of thwarted their Pac-12 yes, title Yes, I'm chances. so glad you brought that up. Oregon <laughs> State did beat the Ducks this yeah. year. It was so much fun. And yes, it doesn't happen all that often these days, but it used to be more prevalent. Mm-hmm. Um, it, didn't, it didn't always feel like Oregon State was the little brother, little sister to University of Oregon. They used to be much more competitive. <laughs> um, and that's why we're excited about the getting glimpses of what we've seen this year. But um, yeah, you really, it, it's based on where you grew up, who you grew up with, who in your family went to where. I would tell you that most Oregon Duck fans, most of them didn't go to Oregon, but what do <laughs> I know? I didn't go yeah. to Oregon State, so yeah. I can't I can't speak on the matter. <laughs> but I is. at least have a lot of family members that mm-hmm. did, um, including my younger sister who's in the other room. Okay. So I feel like I can bleed orange and black. Did you, and you mentioned growing up on the nursery, a farm essentially, was there an adjustment period in your life, whether it was getting to college, short professional world where you had to adjust the city life where it was, okay, I'm not, I'm going to say not in Kansas anymore, but it's way busier, way louder. Everything's just faster, maybe more cramped. Mitch, I grew up on a <laughs> Kleppinger Road. That's my last name, like literally yeah. middle of nowhere. Yeah. My parents are trying to stream tennis channel at times and send it out of internet <laughs> only because we can't get internet where I grew up. So yes, there was definitely a bit of um, an adjustment period. I went to high school in the city every day. So I drove about 35 minutes to high school. So I got a taste of it there, but really it was going to college in New York, yeah. um, you know, learning the train systems and, and just seeing how many people there are there and understanding that there's so many different cultures and people from all over the place, all coming together. It was really, uh, that was eye opening and, um, a really great experience for me. Was basketball always the one sport that had your heart? I, I know, you know, it went on to college, but were there other games that it, I guess, what was it about playing basketball that really, you know, made you want to keep doing it and get better every day? I was good at it. <laughs> I okay. mean, it starts there, right? Yeah. Um, I played softball and soccer growing up as well as basketball. Um, my grandpa used to tell me soccer was just conditioning for basketball season. So it was never really, uh, something people will probably disagree, especially Mm. with this world cup going on right now. But, um, at the time it didn't interest me that much. It was a lot of running. Um, softball was probably not enough action in my opinion. So I think that basketball is what I just gravitated towards. And I was slowly, I was much taller than people when I was younger. So I was actually in the post which is bizarre to think about because um, I'm nowhere near that height. I'm five nine, so I really haven't grown all that much. But um, I think I just, I, my height helped when I was younger and then I kept wanting to be better and better. And there was this basketball player who's actually a college coach now. Her name is Jackie Styles, and she was known for making a thousand shots a day. And so I made that my mission. I'd go outside and for hours and I'd make a thousand shots a day. And my goal was to play D1 and I wouldn't even entertain D2 offers. I didn't care. I really wanted to stay on the West coast. I ended up in New York mostly because of broadcasting, but I just, once it became my focus, I didn't play any other sports. Once I hit high school, it was travel ball year round laser focused into basketball. You go to high school basketball practice and you'd get in the car and you'd go to AAU practice Mm -hmm. and things like that. It's the same story with these, these tennis players as well. It's just my sport happened to be basketball. Doing the math with how think, how old you you relatively are and where you grew up. 31. It's okay. So I can say, so I was doing the math and where you grew up. Is that Brandon Roy? Was that the one that you were looking at? Yeah. (gasps) Yes. I love Brandon Roy. I could still cry thinking about the day I had to read the front page of the Oregonian um, when he retired. But yes, I love Brandon Roy, but there was a point right before him. It was like Bonzi Wells, Mm. (laughs) Eric Anderson, Rasheed Wallace, uh, Scotty Pippen, even for Mm -hmm. a hot second. And Damon Stoudemire, Um, Damon Stoudemire, the jailblazers, you know? (laughs) Oh yeah. That's so what was the, the, process like of you going to Stony Brook with it was there a recruiting process you mentioned that you were so focused on going D1 that was D1 or bust how did that process look like and and I know it's can be taxing for anyone let alone a 17 year old kid trying to get to that goal absolutely and luckily I I played on the most competitive uh, AAU team in the state I um, had a lot of really great players on my team that also went D1 um, so that recruiting process started young um, really young. And mm-hmm. you start getting your letters like mm-hmm. before you even understand what college really is. And um, then I started to really get heavily recruited by schools like Colorado State, um, New Mexico, University of San Diego was always my dream school, but they came in a little bit later than I had wanted. Um, 
You had, mm-hmm. you had some of the, like UC Santa Barbara schools, some of those West Coast schools, Portland, University of Portland. But Stony Brook really obviously wasn't a school I was familiar with or had mm-hmm. heard of. But at the time, the head coach there was from Oregon originally. Mm-hmm. So she recruited uh, with my AAU coach. And she liked the familiar, I liked the familiarity of her being from Oregon. So that was initially how that started. I actually, you're, you're allowed to take five official visits when you're in, uh, trying to pick your college or where you want to go. I only took one. I went to Stony Brook. I went into their journalism department. They showed me how that they were going to be able to make, I told them I want to be on TV one day. I want to talk about sports. They told me they could make it happen. And I literally committed on the spot. That's very fascinating, kind of setting up your next career and some of the stuff I wanted to go over. But I, I just want to add one last point to your basketball career, the three-point shooting accolades, finishing in the top five there when you finished up. You were kind of like ahead of the curve, maybe, in this three-point revolution, 2009, 2010. That was your game, and now you watch the NBA. It seems to be everybody's game. Absolutely. Like, why weren't we playing like we playing now like we were then, or back and vice versa, playing yeah. like we we should switch it up, right? I've always yeah. wanted to be a run and gun kind of player. And that's exactly how we played growing up. But yes, I never met a three point shot that I didn't love. Um, I'd stay out of the paint quite a bit, you know, I don't want to mess with face and elbows yeah. and like yeah. all that sort of deal. So it wasn't the best rebounder in yeah. the world. Was definitely not getting some buckets inside, but uh, yeah, I think you, I got out of the parking lot and I felt like I could be in range. So okay. I, I loved, I loved the deep ball and my license plate in high school was Danny four, three. Okay. So All right. That well, was always my thing. You got to be able to shoot. If you have that, you have to back it up. Like you can't exactly. just have that. Not A little bit of an shoot. ego here. Yeah. <laughs> so you said you wanted to be on TV right from the get go. Did you have, I guess, a plan to make that happen? I'm looking at kind of your activities. You had a radio show. You were starting to work with the, the student office and the athletic office all while being a D1 athlete. Was that the plan to just try to take on as much as you could given the limited free time you had? Yeah, definitely limited free time, um, even more so as a basketball player, because it really isn't an off season, um, especially like winter break when people got to go home. That was like the, the main part of our season. But yeah, I always have had a curiosity about me. Um, I was never really in the drama, but I needed to know about all the drama. Always had this. I always thought I wanted to do like red carpet, e-news. And while I've never done that, and I still would love to get a nice little pretty dress and do something like that sports was my avenue. And um, right away, I realized that the journalism classes that were sports reporting based were in the middle of my practice time. Mm. So I was going to have to get to be creative. And now there's videos all over the place. But at the time, there wasn't a lot of content like that. So I was one of the first and at least in my circle of people that I knew, I started a web show for the Stony Brook University Athletics website. I shot and edited features on all of the different sports and begged them to let me come up with like a 10 minute show uh, once a week that I would shoot, edit, produce. They wouldn't have to do anything other than allow me to put it on the website. And somehow, I mean, it took a while (laughs) of convincing. They eventually said yes. And because of that show, that was the reason I got my first job right out of school. And it was, it takes people believing in you and saying yes for you to be able to kind of reach those milestones. So while yes, I worked hard, I tried to be creative. It really takes special people to see something in you to say yes. Well, I think every college student should listen to that and realize that there's no excuse for not working. There's not no excuse. If you're able to do it, balancing division one athletics, I think there's time that can be made. It might not be ideal. You might have to make sacrifices like you did, but it's possible. Uh, The last thing I have in here, and I just want to verify this is true. Were you the homecoming queen? I was. <laughs> How does that work? Because that's that's a little rare that, a, that an athlete, that a current athlete, one of the star players is also homecoming queen. Might have been one of the only ones, <laughs> if not the first athlete ever uh, to win that. And um, it was very exciting for me because I always was that that girl that I was a double major. So I really cared about school a lot. I really cared about those extracurricular clubs too. Um, I always wanted to be involved in mm-hmm. some sort sort of way. I was a student ambassador. I just tried to balance and bridge the gap between Mm -hmm. athletics and, you know, the non-athletic side of being at a school. And I think through that, I just met a lot of people. And so when it came time for that, (laughs) 
Mm -hmm. that award it sounded so fun I was a homecoming princess in high school never won it okay and then um to go out on the football field and win homecoming queen uh in college was was really special and to see my teammates all there and like all the all the rest of the athletes and the the student band and it's still probably not probably for sure (laughs) my favorite part and favorite memory of college that's that's so funny and it's it would have only been better if it happened at a basketball game that you were playing right. in. Like you just come out of the locker room with like a Gatorade bottle, accept the award and then have a good second half. Run back inside. <laughs> <laughs> Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. More with Danny Kloppinger here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Uh, you mentioned that web show got you in the door professionally. Did you have a, a set plan for maybe not so much like the jobs that you were doing, but a strategy of I'm just going to chase whatever job I'm going to move wherever the opportunity is? Or was it maybe more slow and, and wanting to set, set up roots in a current city? If you can just talk about your process for starting your career. I was under the impression you never say no to an opportunity. And even if there's an internal struggle of how are you going to make it to this city, to this city, because you don't have any money, figure it out Mm. and just tell the people that are hiring you. Yes. And not all about the 10,000 excuses that you need to make that happen. Just figure it out on your own. And that's kind of how I've operated ever since then. Um, Moving is scary. You know, I I moved immediately out of school. I got a job. um, It was right when the SEC Network launched and it was at the University of Tennessee. They were coming up with their own broadcasts, which is very much now mostly student run. But at the time, they needed a full time person to cover their teams. So they had me do that. And they were like, can you shoot? Can you edit? So I just kept saying yes, I would. (laughs) I would wake up early on the rowing boat at like five, six AM. And then I would end at the soccer game that doesn't get over till like nine 30. And then I would go back and, and put together the highlights for a package. They're long, long hours. I was living in low income housing. It's not like you're getting paid a glamorous lifestyle, yeah. um, whatsoever, but you know, I think it was being open to so many different sports that helped me become well-rounded. Uh, I know that people say, you know, be an expert on one, but I've always taken the mindset of be an expert on a lot of them, or at least a jack of all trades Mm -hmm. for that matter. So you can speak a little bit about a lot of things. And that's what I focus on. And because of that, I think more and more opportunities came. And eventually I got to go back to the West coast and get Mm -hmm. to where I am now. But, um, I I just don't think saying no, I don't think you say no until you get to a point in your career where you finally probably can be a little bit more choosy, Mm -hmm. but even to this day, (laughs) I I, I still would get hives saying no. (laughs) Well, and also to go on what you said, which is 100% correct. Also, don't be afraid to lean on your experts. Be prepared and be ready. But I find that, and it's not just a young person problem. I don't want to be punching down, but you don't have to be the know-it-all on any topic. Even if you do know a lot about it, it's good to lean on those experts and kind of learn and rely on some people that might be better off and more you know, expert than yourself. There's no other better uh, example than me working at Tennis Channel. I yeah. mean- I did not have a background in tennis. I have a background in athletics and I have a background in professional sports. I've worked in multiple mm-hmm. professional sports, but I know when I'm sitting there with Prakash or I'm, I'm tossing to the studio with Jason and Jim and, you know, Tracy Austin and all these people, those are the experts. Yeah. I'm just there to facilitate the conversation and hopefully bring the curiosity that the fans, the viewers have as well in trying to figure out the mindset behind something, the reasoning behind something, mm-hmm. the strategy behind something, but it's not my job to, to spread that. And I think you have to put your ego aside a yeah. lot in this business and, and just realize that you don't know it all, but there are people out there that know quite a bit that you can learn from. And so that this, I would say that tennis mm-hmm. channel is the best example of that, especially for me and what I do. Did you have broadcast idols, anchors, personalities you looked up to? Absolutely. Um, Holly Rowe is at the top of that list. I think she's, I I remember, I don't, I wish I could remember what game this was, but I remember watching a football game once and, and she talked about how 
she like someone had knocked down the field goal post and she actually went and tracked down where a piece of that field goal post went and the route of which people would have had to carry it through the street and went and found out where they put it and what they were putting on it at their house like just always taking the extra mile and that was something that I super admired. She was trying to get to an interview at the end of a game one day and climbed up on the scorer's table in order to reach the guy who was celebrating and wanted to be able to get to talk to him. I just felt like that level of effort mm -hmm. was something that I always wanted to um, emulate. Yeah. And then someone else that's actually on right now is like a Carissa Thompson vibe, like someone who is very conversational, um, seems to be able to be one of one of the guys, if, if, if you will, I like that vibe. I, I don't think I've, I can be very poised and put together and, and you know, more news anchory if you need to. And especially there are times and places for that, but I've, I've really looked to those people that kind of go the extra mile and do it in a conversational way um, that I really look up to. Yeah. Both very versatile and uh, able to like in Carissa's case, host the NFL show that you're more straight laced also be very conversational in different mediums. So those are great examples. Uh, the Tennessee experience, what was it like? I know that was kind of the first big job and you're working hard for little money, but what was it like being down there in the South in that market in particular with some of the most passionate fans in the United States for their Vols, which at a time you were there, it wasn't exactly the golden era. Maybe now it is, but not so much then. Now, now it's great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, back then wasn't so much, but yeah. To see that level of fandom in the SEC is something I will never take for granted that I got to see up close and personal. Being on the sidelines of an SEC football game and just standing down there and hearing them, you can't even hear the person next to you as you, you like literally lose your voice just trying to tell the person next to you a sentence. Mm -hmm. um, it's so unbelievable how passionate they are. And it doesn't matter the sport. Everyone pays attention to every sport. It's not like it's just football or bust or basketball or mm -hmm. bust. People yeah. are out there on the tennis courts. People are out there knowing who won the rowing championship. Yeah. I mean, everyone is so glued into their sports down there. Softball would sell out. I mean, it, that's what made it fun is because there was no discrimination of sports. It was, let's just champion everyone. Yeah. And that particular school has an entire lady balls section, right? So you have the lady balls and you have the volunteers. So there's just as much love yeah. and separation of, of fandom for women's sports as well. And being... <laughs> You know, women's basketball yeah. player. I called my first ever basketball game as an analyst and sitting behind me in the stands right behind me in the front row was Pat Summit. I mean, yeah, it doesn't get any better than that. No, no, it doesn't. And it, it's so true. I have a friend that was, that was a vol born and raised in the state of Tennessee. Uh, not what I would ever consider a baseball fan, but just in the last few years with this baseball renaissance, he's watching every game, texting me updates on how they're doing. And it just speaks to the passion there. Uh, from that stop, it was, was it the St. Louis Rams job that kind of was the break that you were looking for? And, you know, in a way it kind of got you out to the West coast when they moved, you kind of went with them. And so was that job, the job that kind of started to be that step up? 100%. And it really started with a guy I shared an office with, or he was down the hall from my office at Tennessee, went on to work for social media for the Rams. Let me know that they had an opening and I got my foot in the door there. They had like 300 applicants. I remember them telling me at the time. And when I got offered that job, I was so excited. But also you have to remember, I came from Portland, Oregon. We don't have an NFL team. So I was very into college football, but NFL, mm -hmm. nope. Didn't know a whole bunch of like the differences. Like once they left college and went on to the NFL, I wasn't really paying that close of attention. So this was step one of learning something entirely new. Luckily, when I got there, Jeff Fisher was the head coach. And I remember passing him in the hallway with my mom on like my first day when I was like, she was helping me move into my new office. And he said, I'm going to take care of her. And he really did. You know, they, they talked, you know, I sat next to him at the combine. He'd tell me what he was looking for. Um, you know, the scouts, the, the players, the getting the insight to all that goes into that sport. Yeah, that was the jump up, right? The NFL is like, mm -hmm pinnacle of football. So, um, and some of people's favorite sports, you know, you got tennis, professional tennis, which is amazing. You got professional football. It's amazing. MLB and NBA. Like there's, there's only a few you can choose from. Yeah. And to move from there back to the West coast where I always wanted to end back up, I didn't think it would happen as fast as it did. Um, but yeah, just the magnitude of, of being on a team that 
had to move across the country and getting yeah. that experience, being a part of a team that fired their head coach in the middle of the year on that first move and getting that experience and seeing how players deal with that, how the organization deals with that. I mean, there were so many intangible lessons that I learned from having that job beyond just what I got to do on the field and, and, and reporting wise uh, that I still look back to and understand because you can understand what it's like right. for someone to lose their job or, or what it's like for a player to get traded in the middle of the year, or what it's like for a player to get hurt in a contract year. It just kind of, it gave me a lot of perspective. I learned a lot in that job. And somebody, and that's a great story on uh, Jeff Fisher kind of taking you under his wing. And I know it didn't end well for him with the Rams, right. but somebody in that position kind of doing something nice when they don't have to, it does rub off and it does kind of, you know, in my perspective and others as well, it prompts you to want to pay it forward and not kind of look down at, on anybody when you know what it's like to be on the other end of that spectrum and how gracious, gracious you are to get any sort of help. Absolutely. And, you know, I feel like these days, and while some of it is very warranted, I do feel like a lot of what you hear is, is, is we're not championed as women in this sports world, right? But I have just had the complete opposite experiences of that. And I know there's others who haven't, but I've really been so fortunate to have so many men stick their neck out for mm -hmm. me and give me opportunities and, and let me ask probably dumb blonde headed questions and then actually yeah. correct me or, or help me grow or give me suggestions or, you know, help give me some guidance yeah. along the way. And I've just been very thankful to a lot of men that I've come across in this business that have actually given me the opportunities to try something new, even though it may not be my initial background or what, what have you, they understand that I'm going to work hard and I'm going to learn. And that part's on me, but it does take somebody in a position of power yeah. to trust you and to try to help you out. And I, I'm very thankful to those people in my life. In that same regard, I will ask you what, when exactly did you call your first men's basketball game? What was the time frame there? Uh, it was actually while I was in California, okay. it was probably 2018. And um, yeah, first college men's college basketball game. It was with the stadium network. Yeah. It was actually a part of this Sinclair yeah. bubble. And they, it was a WCC game, West coast conference game, Pepperdine. Mm -hmm. um, and I was an analyst alongside Scott Hansen. Yeah. And it was, so cool to be able to react, you know, being an analyst on women's basketball games is, was one thing and, and, and loved it. As I said, Pat Summit sat behind me, but to get the respect to do college men's college games was a big deal. And to do it at a WCC level, especially as someone that grew up with the WCC and the PAC 12 huge deal. And from there, they kept assigning me games yeah. and I kept going all over traveling and covering men's college basketball, which it's faster. They're more athletic. And it, it's, it, it's, it was a really special thing for me to be able like, there was a time I went back and, and called a game at university of Portland, where I went to my first ever basketball <laughs> yeah. game. You know, that was pretty nostalgic for myself, for my family. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't like they gave me a one-off opportunity. They gave me a one-off opportunity. I came super prepared. I did, you know, the best that I could do. And it was, I at least did well enough that they asked yeah. me to do it again. And, um, so you had the opportunity to grow. Um, so I, I do, I'm really thankful to people at stadium. I still work with some of those yeah. people now, um, for, for giving me the opportunity. Did you feel like added pressure with that? I know it's tough, you know, and then there might be some on the outside that look at it. Like, you know, it's a woman calling a man's sport. I think you having the credibility of being a broadcaster, but also having played the game at a really high level, probably less than some of those criticism, I would hope. But I think it's it just kind of speaks to the opportunity. You you speaking highly of that team and them having faith in you because we know any new broadcaster in any new role, the first is not always going to be the best. So them taking the long approach is probably the smartest thing anyone can do. Absolutely. And hey, there is a lot of pressure, especially as a female. You know, it, it just is what it is. Mm -hmm. Like if you say something wrong, there's a good chance people are going to point it out. Whereas maybe if mm -hmm. your male counterpart said something that was exactly the same and laughed it off mm -hmm. and, and corrected it, um, it wouldn't be as big of a deal. It just is what it is. Um, I actually kind of like that challenge. I think it's replaced the adrenaline rush of being a player. I think the adrenaline rush of being on your P's and Q's yeah. has kind of taken over that role for me. And I, 
I actually like it because it's like people are holding me to a higher standard, which means I have to hold myself to a higher standard. And it does go back to that competitive nature behind, you know, wanting to be a division one basketball player. The same deal. I want to be the division one of a broadcaster. So yeah. um, you just want to keep getting better. And yeah, there's, there's definitely, there's so <laughs> much pressure of yeah. course, being a woman going a man's game a, a thousand percent, but yeah. that's on me to be prepared. Especially now in this era where, you know, with social media, if something goes wrong, it could go viral. Everyone's going to see it. <laughs> Yeah. So that's the adrenaline yeah. rush you talk about. Now, uh, it, it's great to see. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. More with Danny Kloppinger here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Uh, we get to the Tennis Channel step. How did that opportunity come to be? I know there was some court report opportunities. We were originally, I think, how you got your foot in the door, the updates, and then ultimately getting to work with Prakash Armitage and take this show on the road worldwide. Yeah, my goodness. It's so crazy how far I've come. Cause when I first went in for my court report interview, I was still working for the Rams. It was going to be like a side side gig at the time. And Michael Haston, who's still there, uh, brought me in. And I really, you know, to be frank, was not all that familiar with tennis, had covered tennis in college at, at a college level for University of Tennessee, um, hadn't been around the tennis circuit all that much, very familiar, at least with the top names and things like that. But, you know, beyond that, not really you know, and, um, Haston and I went over a bunch of different names, making sure I can, you know, that's part of it, right? You can speak English <laughs> and you can speak tennis names. That's an entirely yeah. different language. Oh yeah. Um, I actually, Chris Budden, who's now with ESPN, oh, yeah. she had done court reports and I call, I had worked with her in Tennessee. I called her up. I said, Hey, can we go over the top 50 and go everybody's over everyone's names phonetically? So I don't sound like an idiot. And that, that helped. Um, but yeah, we went from there to now traveling on the road. Look, look, you can grow here, people. Trust me. But yeah, they, Hasten gave me a shot at court reports. I did that for a couple of years, actually, probably three years. And then I think it's like six years that I've been at Tennis Channel. It's unbelievable that it's been that long. But um, after that, got some chances to do some single hosting gigs. Um, that was kind of that directing traffic where there's, mm -hmm. you know, tournaments going all over and, and you're really just hearing my voice. But those those shifts were like 1am. I think everyone's in there like from 1am to 7am, <laughs> which everyone at tennis channel knows that's a typical shift. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, in those, I really got to learn and fall on my face and understand how to call tennis, what what's involved in that. Um, the intricacies on, on, you know, consolidating a point, like what a big word for having to, to talk or consolidating a break, how, what a giant word for having to just say something so simple, but, you know, wanting to learn all the terms so that I could represent tennis channel at the best of my abilities and show them that I was very serious about wanting to be in this tennis world. And, I really am very serious about it. I, I, I watch it all the time. I, I'm trying to eat, sleep, drink, watch, read everything that has to do with tennis because I really have enjoyed not only everyone I've worked there with, but the experiences that go along with it. it it's just such a pleasant place to work. It's such a pleasant yep. place to be around. And the people there are so phenomenal that I know a good thing when I see it. And I am not, <laughs> not going to like allow for any room yeah. for error um, in showing people that this is where I want to be. Right. And so I did that and took that very seriously, especially in those single hosting days. And then we hit COVID yes. <laughs> and I was going to go to Indian Wells. I had all my outfits prepped for to host the desk. I was so nervous and so excited. And then 2020 happened mm -hmm. and there was no Indian Wells. And then I waited an entire year, um, to do anything else at tennis channel. Like it, it took, it took a full year. I went and got a marketing job. Uh, cause you got to pay the bills right. and you know, all my other gigs, like I had been working for FanDuel, that show kind of dissipated a, a bunch of the stuff that happened or that I had been doing and working at kind of went away. Yep. So I got a marketing job and one day uh, I got called into tennis channel to, you know, audition and 
that audition was with Prakash and Prakash and I had met in passing a couple times. Um, but yeah, it was the first time we'd really gone live on air together. And uh, now the guy's one of my absolute best friends. Yeah. So, you know, you know the story from there, but yeah, it went well. And luckily I could quit that marketing job. So well, thank you to this channel. <laughs> it's also nice to be able to see, you know, Paris in the fall and Rome and all these places. Oh, I don't think you're going to complain about that. Yeah. You uh, know, twist my arm. Yeah. Someone's got to go. I'm, yeah. I'm happy to sign up. Well, it just, it speaks to perseverance, obviously rolling with the punches, the fact that 2020 wasn't great for, for anybody, but know figuring it out and then that instant, chem instant chemistry with Prakash I was actually here in that in the Santa Monica studios that day when that was going on uh, we kind of knew there was something to it and he's somebody that you can rely on he's got the credibility with the, with his name first of all his experiences in the game but also how relatable he is that you guys on these interview desks which we can talk about now the fact that you're getting these players these top name players immediately after big matches there's got to be, you know, that, that's where the adrenaline juices kind of get going, right? Because here comes Novak Djokovic or Rafael Nadal after a big win, and you're the first person they speak to on live television. Absolutely. And these are <laughs> people and players that I have come to admire that, that while they're speaking, I'm actually getting chills while sitting there. And that doesn't go away because at the end of the day, Mitch, we're all sports mm -hmm. fans. Right. We all like the idea of a winner and, and how do they get to be in greatness and how do you get there and and listening to the insights, especially mm -hmm. after a big match, it's hard not to get chills mm -hmm. um, and, and see it. I, I, the passion also from all the fans like in all these different countries and how passionate they are about their specific countries that has also been super eye opening for me as well. That gives me chills each and every time. But yeah, these players getting to hear from them. That is of course an adrenaline rush, knowing that they're coming in, making sure, you know, all the papers are out of the way. It's my coffee yeah, out of their way. Yeah. So it doesn't spill on them. Like make sure that I, there's no wire or anything like, you know, I, I just wipe off my hair <laughs> that sheds all the time off yeah. the desk. So it's not near them, but yeah, there's always a little bit of an adrenaline rush there, but gosh, I just feel so privileged to be able mm -hmm. to sit there with these athletes that are just truly remarkable. And even the young ones that are coming up like a Ben Shelton mm. who comes to our desk in Cincinnati with this swagger and this confidence. It's like, man, when I was 17 years old, I was not like no. you, but I I'm sure glad that there are 17 yeah. year olds out there that can learn from you. Cause yeah. this is cool. Yeah. You mentioned the crowd support too. The first year you went on the road, it wasn't the, the capacity wasn't, you know, allowed. So now this past year, it's been like a, where was this? Like how much we missed it. Uh, and you're catching tennis at, at what I would say is a pretty ideal time. The greats are still hanging around. Unfortunately, they're dropping off, which is to be expected. But this new uprising of players is coming. And I think we're, you know, we're prepped for this generational battle that's about to take place where the old guys and girls are like, I don't want to give this up. And the young players are like, no, you're going to give this up or I'm going to take it. I don't know, Mitch. I don't think Novak Djokovic is backing down anytime. He's the one. He, he's you the see one. Him yeah. the last two tournaments? Yeah. He, goodness. He's in his own class. Always should be. But <laughs> the, the influx of young talent, I would argue, has never been better on both tours. We're, we're looking at players as teenagers into their early 20s that are ready for their moment way quicker than we, I think, have seen in the recent memory. I think that also just has to do with the availability of resources around you. I think the sport will just continue to grow, right? Because you see what people used and what worked and now you have access to that mm -hmm. and so much more, so many more tests that you can yeah. see that you need help with whatever and so many more, you know, someone there for your mental health, someone there for your physical health, someone there for your nutrition, someone there for, you know, the, you're just addressing so many issues that mm -hmm. you know could come up with age yeah. at a younger age. So now you're, you're, above the curve, ahead of the curve for that matter. And so I think that's why you're seeing so many young players um, find success yeah. at this age. And I think there's a little bit, correct me if I'm wrong, but I do think there's a little bit of this camaraderie of, hey, my social circle is doing well. I want to play well. Like you see the Tommy Pauls and the Taylor Fritzes and the Riley Opelkas. Oh, yeah. They're the, all buds. The rising all tide like lifts all boats for sure. Yeah, that's 100% true. I, I also just want to add, you know, and I do think sports, you know, athletes are playing longer because of science and technology and training, but I don't want to take for granted that the unicorns, right? Tom Brady is Tom Brady. Like not everyone's going to play that long. Novak Djokovic, who we just talked about, like he's going to succeed into his late thirties, maybe even into his forties. That's not normal. And it shouldn't be, there should be a reserve spot for the true great Serena Williams, who just retired. 
that while it's great we're seeing these players longer, there's certain things that are only going to happen for the very best because that's who they are. Absolutely. I mean, you said it best. Like you're it's interesting because Novak Djokovic, I can say, came to our desk. It comes to our desk quite often, mm-hmm. but a lot of the times he stays after it and, and talks a little bit more, like loves basketball, like mm-hmm. wants to talk about, you know, he had a great relationship with Kobe Bryant. Mm-hmm. And that one really stuck stuck with me when he was talking about that relationship because he was at the, he is at the pinnacle of the sport. You know, he you don't yeah. get any better. And same with Kobe Bryant. He was at the pinnacle. And so those people surround themselves with each other because only they know what it's like to mm-hmm. breathe that air up there. And so only they can really speak to what it's like once you get yeah. up here. Like, what do you do once you get up here? Only a few people in the world ever can talk about what the air is like breathing up at that, that level, you it's know? So and it's true. interesting to hear about how they all actually find ways to talk to one another. Um, mm-hmm. Because like you said, they're so few and far between. I had Jim Courier on the show a couple weeks ago and it was like, you know, talking about something I never it's like talking about Alcaraz. I'm like, you're one of the only people I know that I could ask this question to about what it's like to be number one. Cause I have no idea. And we don't, you know, us, us civilians don't have any idea. Um, I know another thing about you that I want to bridge with tennis is that you're a, a bona fide sneakerhead. Oh yeah. Yeah. Big like you, you put your, you put your, your level above most is what you're saying. I'm just saying Nick Kyrgios and I might have similar shoe games. Mm. I'm just saying. Okay. Um, do you have I a different set of shoes when you walk out to the broadcast booth? Like Kyrgios, do you hold the, the game so, worn you know, shoes? I, Mitch, these are very long, um, long tournaments. If I was going to come with some pairs of shoes, I would need to come with multiple and we can only pack so many bags, you know, mm-hmm. um, otherwise <laughs> I would come with a different pair of sneakers each and every time. Um, yeah. but every time he comes on set, I do say something about what shoes he has on and I call them out by name so that he at least can register. Oh, she, she knows what she's talking okay. about All here, right. but, but yeah, I I'm obsessed with sneaker game. Um, I think it's the basketball player in me probably. Yeah. Um, I have far too many sneakers in my room over there. Um, I may or may not have rented, been known to rent uh, two bedroom apartments for the closet in a second bedroom. Um, I have a problem. Mom, if you ever listen to this, just don't listen. You know, I'm spending okay. my money wisely. Okay, we'll give, her a, we'll give her a timestamp and have her fast forward <laughs> through this part. But it is nice to see this younger crop of athlete kind of embraced sneakers and fashion. And we're starting to see more of, not just personality, but also the style and dress game of these athletes. It's one of my most favorite things that is new and up and coming with like the way that this social media world is working and, and all of that, seeing people's style, individual style, like coming out and, and partnering with different um, clothing companies and brands and coming out with your own line, like Naomi Osaka did earlier this year. Um, seeing people just really dive into their own unique style is actually giving us an idea of what their personality is like. Yeah. Nick Kyrgios coming onto the court. I, I understand I'm not going to be, I'm not going to give an opinion one way or another in his red and white Jordan ones. However, uh, seeing those, I got texts from people that don't watch tennis that yeah. are like, who's this guy? Do you cover him? Like my phone from basketball <laughs> players was blowing up about him. Yeah. So it's bringing different eyeballs because people are like, Hey, I can relate to that athlete what are they doing? I want to see what they're doing. And now I'm invested in them because they're similar to me in this other way, even though I don't understand their sport, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think that that's a cool new way to bring people together. Wrapping things up with Danny Kloppinger on Tennis Channel Insight. And this has been a blast. The last area I wanted to get into is kind of getting in the forefront of the gambling space, not just with the show uh, Live on the Line, uh, the Bally Sports Show presented by MGM, where you're working with Brad Evans and Cameron Smith, but also the tennis bet stuff, you're kind of on the forefront here. Like, What was it about getting into this space? I know you've, you've said you can't really say no, you're not able to, to different <laughs> opportunities, but how is you know getting involved in sports gambling uh, in that broadcast area, how has that helped your career? Oh my gosh, it's helped it so much. It was a, an idea um, in 2019, early 2019, actually maybe late 2018, um, FanDuel wanted to start a show. And, uh, it was there locally in Los Angeles. And the guy that wanted to start it came to me and was like, Hey, I know you worked in the NFL. We want to surround it around gambling. I know you don't gamble, but it's going to become legal. It's going to blow up here soon. I want to, I want to give you an opportunity. 
And that's exactly what happened. I got to host a FanDuel show. I did a lot of studying, a lot of reading about, you know, what exactly a prop was, you know, what the juice is on a wager and all that stuff. But I hosted that FanDuel show for a couple of years and covered multiple sports while doing it. And then when that went away for me, it opened the door for this BetMGM show that's on Bally right now. Um, It's been so interesting to see how much gambling has gone crazy, Um, especially when like in 2018, it was like, yeah, it's like, okay, like I'll try it. Like maybe it'll work. But now I'm hosting a show every single day on it. And then, yes, you're talking about tennis wagers. I give tennis wagers every day on live on the line as well. I'm I'm talking tennis. Every single day, because no one else on the show knows anything about it. So I give picks from these ATP 250s, these 500 events, um, because there's always something going on. There's always a way to make some extra money, you know, college basketball, football, hockey, baseball, you name it. We talk about it. So that's not only helped me stay on top of all the things I want to know in sports, but you're also just like glued into understanding who's better than who. Um, and then that gambling space is just, it's kind of fun. Now don't develop a problem. Everybody. Let me just put the disclaimer out there now, but it is making it a fun way to go to a sports bar, especially, you know, here in Chicago, you can do it, design your couch, like to go into a sports bar with my little sister who doesn't know anything about gambling, but I'm like, Hey, you think that team's going to score three more points than the other team by the time <laughs> halftime hits. Yeah. And she's like, sure. Here's $3. You know, it's, it's, right. it's makes it kind of fun. I think adding interest to the sport is a great thing. And yeah, I mean, it's also kind of changing for the better. I would argue how we consume sort of sports, how you would consume sports, these player props, especially where you can just, don't even really need to look at the outcome. Just look at a specific player and follow and root for them. Honestly, like <laughs> as I'm sitting there yeah. in Turin at yeah. the ATP finals, I'm getting texts from Brett Connors in the production <laughs> in the in production. That's like, Hey, Danny, uh, what do you think? How many games is this one going to go? And I'm like, let's go over this amount of games. Like it's hard not to just get this adrenaline rush of just, it's the competitiveness, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Are they going to go over 20 and a half games? Is it going to go three sets? Yeah. Um, those props are fun. I think I'm going to have to look, but I probably got those Brett Connors texts too. So I'll have to double check on that. Um, but no, it, it's, it's true. And I know the show has done well. Um, I saw, although I don't know if it's a reoccurring segment, but the dance you broke out when Stony Brook won. Oh yes. Okay. I have a problem, Mitch. I, I really should remember that I'm on national television yeah. when I decide to do things like dance okay. or, you know, sing a note at a high mm-hmm. level, but that's the thing with the show. It is completely unscripted. There is no script. So I am just flying by the seat of my pants and we like to have fun. It's supposed to be casual. The idea behind that show is you got three buddies at a sports bar and I would probably dance around if my team did well at a sports bar. So I'm going to do it on television. <laughs> so, I, I mean, it's, it's perfect. It's great that it's off the cuff and I love it. And I love, you know, shows that are on that loose format side while still providing info. Um, you know, this has been great, Dandy, talking to you. I guess we can kind of talk with the off the court, off the field stuff. What's the unwind, unplugging? Uh, how do you kind of just debrief, so to speak? What type of activities and hobbies do you like? Other than buying sneakers, obviously. Television. Oh, yeah. Mitch, I have such a problem with sitting on this couch and binge watching TV and like bad TV, like Real Housewives, um, the yeah. Kardashians. Mm, mm. Um, you know, I work with, I'm working male dominated industries. So I don't get the girl talk all that often. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I just like to sit back, relax and watch it. But, um, I also am a big foodie. Um, okay. I'm going to try and do a better job this year, especially traveling overseas and, and getting to go to these tournaments, showing off where I go to eat. Cause I always find a place fun to go try the cuisines and things like that. And I do the same thing here in Chicago. There's so many restaurants. Um, so that's the other thing I like to do to kind of wind down and, and, literally physically have wine in my hand and wind down. <laughs> right. Wind down. Yeah. Well, I mean, we were, you know, talking role models and, and things. I mean, Kardashians, right. I mean, they oh my gosh, uh, <laughs> let's not go there. I wouldn't go that far, um, but they are quite entertaining, but you know, it's just, what would it be like to have that many fans? I just, I don't know. No, and get would... that access to all those clothes. And yeah. you know, at the end of the day, Mitch, I'm still pretty girly. The idea of wearing okay. all those clothes given to you is sounds fun. Okay. Well, Hey, I'll take your word for it there. Um, <laughs> lastly, bring, I just lost everybody. You, you, okay. yeah, we were pretty good. Most of it. Um, <laughs> lastly, I mean, do you have goals or are you just living in this moment right now, riding this heater that you're currently on or are there bigger and brighter goals going forward I, for you? I think you always have to have goals. 
Um, I definitely have exactly that. Um, I, I am so proud of where I am right now. And I think you do have to take a little bit of a, a breather and sometimes say like, look at where you are, look what you've done, enjoy it a little bit. I would say I'm there, but there's so much more I want to do. I, I eventually would love to get back to the West coast full time. Um, I, I would like to be married and have a family someday. So hopefully add that into the mix. Um, but I, I do want to continuously challenge myself. And I, I, I thrive off of that. I don't like not being busy. Like downtime isn't really comfortable for me. I like to keep going, going, going. Um, so I, I would love to someday go to a slam uh, in the tennis world. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know at what capacity, but to, to be there, uh, working would be really cool. Um, I'd like to, you know, continue to tackle a bunch of different sports, but I will tell you that tennis has just become my favorite. So I'm sort of zeroing in on that. Um, don't tell everybody else, but the secret's out folks. Uh, Danny loves tennis. Well, that, yeah, that is music to my ears. And I think people listen to this show as well. Uh, Danny Klopinger, you can find her on Live on the Line presented by MGM and also Tennis Channel's broadcasts abroad in 2023. But Danny, thank you so much for joining Tennis Channel Inside In. It was uh, a long time coming. Love chatting with you. Hope to do it again soon. But thanks and uh, best of luck with everything. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Huge thanks to Danny Kloppinger. That was such a very fun conversation. Glad we were able to do it. Glad we were able to get her on the podcast. Check out Live on the Line on Valley Sports weekdays. Great daily gambling content and expertise. And make sure you follow her at all the Masters events in 2023. The desk will be on site with Prakash Armitrage. Danny Kloppinger rising up the ranks. So glad, so grateful she was able to take time to chat with me here on Tennis Channel Inside In been a great year on the tennis channel podcast network appreciate everybody out there for listening to not only this show but all the shows on our network go to tennis.com slash podcasts where you can find the entire catalog tennis channel inside in is on all your podcast platforms make sure you subscribe leave a rating leave a review and spread the word thanks to danny Kloppinger. thanks to everybody out there for listening when i speak to you next tennis will be back we start down under in australia getting ready for the 2023 season which is almost here Until next time, my name is Mitch Michaels, and this was Tennis Channel Inside In. Have a wonderful holiday season.